there are people out there that want to help and that can mentor you. It's just finding them. Once you find them, hold on to them because they will guide you as far as they can until you're able to kind of go off on your own and start guiding other people on their journeys as well. Welcome to Unlocking College Life, real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback, and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Welcome back to Unlocking College Life. We have another student guest with us today, which we're really excited to talk with Dolores about her journey as a college student. And Alona and I were talking a little bit earlier about really wanting to highlight students who are completely relatable to all of you out there, but who have just found their way and been on a journey that is really unique. And we can't wait to share her story today. So Dolores, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit and then we'll jump right in. Hi, everybody. My name is Dolores Perales, and I'm currently a third year master's student at the University of Michigan, earning a dual degree, a master's of science in environment and sustainability with a focus in environmental justice and master's of urban and regional planning. That is a mouthful. And I know that you are also a recipient of scholarship and part of important initiatives, I think one of them being the Southwest Detroit Environmental Vision Project. And I'm wondering if you're able to tell us a little bit about that. So I am currently a staff member at Southwest Detroit Environmental Vision. And I've been a part of this nonprofit organization for a very large majority of my young adult life. I first got involved with them actually when I was 15 years old. So almost 10 years ago, I'm now 24. I just turned 24 about a week ago. Being a part of that organization for almost 10 years has definitely helped shift my mindset when it comes to the environmental field, as well as the ways that I want to become involved in my community, especially my Southwest Detroit community. Working at SDV as both a volunteer to the staff member side has definitely changed over time my perspectives on like the environment and how individuals become involved in the environment. But I will say getting involved at the age of 15 as a volunteer definitely changed my life for the better through their program, Catholic Urban Gardens, which is an urban garden that they help run. They're the lead nonprofit that runs that urban garden. And I know without that space, I would not have ventured off into the environmental field. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. How did you end up at the University of Michigan? Can you tell us a little bit about your undergrad journey and then on to graduate school? Yeah, so I'm a proud alumna of Michigan State University. I earned my Bachelor of Science there back in 2019, where I studied environmental studies and sustainability, and I minored in global public health and epidemiology. So going to Michigan State was probably the best four years of my life. I absolutely loved my time at Michigan State. It's kind of funny to be a proud MSU alumna and switch over to the rival team over at the University of Michigan. But Michigan State definitely provided me the base knowledge and expertise I needed within the environment and sustainability field to go on to pursue my master's degree at the University of Michigan, focusing on similar topics. Like I had mentioned before, working at like Catholic Urban Gardens really launched me into that environmental field and wanting to work in the environment. Because of that, that's what led me to pursue a degree at Michigan State. Volunteering at Catholic Urban Gardens definitely like launched me into that environmental field. So I know without that space, I definitely would not have pursued a degree at Michigan State. 
before volunteering there, I was kind of like dabbling into other career interests and fields. Most likely, if I wouldn't have volunteered there, would have ended up in the sphere of writing, most likely professional writing. Through my high school, I went to Detroit Crystal Ray, which is like a network school that's like across the country. But through Detroit Crystal Ray, it is a private school for low-income individuals to kind of help individuals that may not have access or the ability to go to a private institution afford to do So a lot of these schools are placed in low-income, larger urban cities. So that's where I went to high school. And through high school, they have a work-study program. So students there work one day a week. They go to school from 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. And they work one day a week to kind of make up for that missed day of school. But because of that, it helps you develop your resume, get early work expertise, connect with a lot of employment opportunities well before you're even entering college. So because of that, my work study was actually at Cengage Learning, which is a publishing company. And that's how I became interested in writing in the professional writing sphere, realizing that was a career interest that I could pursue and I really enjoyed while I worked there. So Because of that, my junior, senior year, I started to look into schools that revolved around more so professional writing to probably end up in a sphere similar to the one that I had worked in for my work study in high school. So without that garden space, I most likely would not have went into the environmental field. I always had an interest in it, and it's always been a big part of my life growing up in the southwest side of Detroit. But it was something that I did not realize, especially as a Latinx individual, that was a field that I could go off and pursue. It wasn't something that was ever highlighted. It wasn't something that was ever explained to me. Almost like a hidden gem where I was like, wow, people study this. I can actually go and do this. And it turns out like so many people already do this already. And I had no idea. It's just something that isn't really advertised to the communities that I I live in, despite the environmental field and especially the environmental justice field and the environmental racism that individuals in my community experience face every single day. It's insane that people don't know that this is something that they can go and pursue despite them having to fight this battle every single day of their lives based on just the location that we live in. So I think you're just hitting on something really important there that it sounded for you, you had a couple unique opportunities where you were able to find that. But I think what you're saying is so true is that because of your identities and because of some other reasons you might not have found it, what would you say to someone who might be listening to this and saying, well, wait, I might want to get involved in that. I didn't have those opportunities that you had. So I know there's a lot of ways to get involved in the environmental field, even if you have just an interest in it. There's so many resources that you're able to look into, not only just like online, if you want to get involved with a larger platform, but within local communities. This was something that I so happened to stumble upon in my community. I had no idea the space existed until I was part of NHS in high school and I was, I need some service hours. And I saw a post on Facebook at the time. Facebook was the thing back in high school for some reason where they're like, hey, we need volunteers. Come volunteer at this garden. And I was like, what garden? There's no garden in this area. What are they talking about? And so I showed up and there was a garden, an old parking lot, <laughs> which was crazy. And it's definitely become a huge and beautiful aspect of my life. But there's so many ways to kind of get involved within the environmental field I'm both like a local level to that national level if you want to look into more of those larger skill resources. But even doing simple things, even like your grade school, middle school, high school, whatever age level that you're at, taking initiatives at the school year in, whether that's having like a recycling program, composting, talking about the issues that your community may face, especially if you're a BIPOC student 
and you are experiencing some of these environmental injustices in your own community, it's okay to vocalize that. It's okay to speak up about that and know that there's so many other people like you out there that are fighting the same battles as you and that are willing to help and that as long as you reach out, so many people will be willing to help you and guide you along the way. I think that's something that I didn't realize. There are people out there that are like you that want to help and that can mentor you. It's just finding them. And there may not be a lot of us, but we're out there. And once you find them, hold on to them because they will guide you as far as they can until you're able to kind of go off on your own and start guiding other people on their journeys as well. Yeah, I think it's incredible the way it started, perhaps on a simpler level, a garden and urban environment. So it's a sort of a smaller scale project. And now you are pursuing a graduate degree in urban planning and working with environment. So much larger impact. I mean, I love how that has built. And I love that you stumbled into a passion, right? Because we also see students who sort of are already aware that perhaps volunteering or building resume is important, but oftentimes it's not necessarily something that resonates. And I know that we have to try a variety of different things before we sometimes stumble upon a thing that truly resonates, how passionate you are about this work, even if you sort of fell in there somewhat randomly. But I think that there's just not enough encouragement to pursue things that also matter to you personally. You know what I mean? So it's not just the resume builder. Yeah, definitely. I almost feel, even though I stumbled into this gardening space, the environmental field has always been a big aspect of my life, just not in the traditional sense that most people that enter into this field get to experience. How I mentioned, I grew up born and raised in Detroit, the southwest side of the city. An incredible amount of not only air pollution, blight, industries that are located in that in that space, but in Southwest Detroit, a lot of individuals of color, so Black and Nex, and the part of the city that I'm from is predominantly Latinx, we tend to face a lot of harassment, environmental injustices, and definitely a lot of environmental racism, where not only do we have state of Michigan's only oil refinery in a lot of our backyards, but we constantly have truck pollution, truck idling, because we have the Ambassador Bridge. Literally, like, you can see it from, like, the windows in our schools driving by, like, in our neighborhoods, where so many trucks are just sitting there idling, polluting the air, where a lot of us end up having asthma. Like, I have asthma. My brother has asthma. My cousin that lives on the street has asthma. So many kids have asthma in this area. It's not a coincidence. And I started realizing that as a child where I would play sports and we would go out into the suburbs to go play games and things like that. We were taken on the bus and like, all right, we're going to go play a game. And immediately as soon as we kind of crossed the city boundary, you saw how much cleaner it was, how much nicer it was. And I think that's when I had like aha moment as a child where I was just like, people don't grow up the same way that we do. And like, why are we treated this way? Why are we subjected to all this pollution? Why do I have to see like blight all around the neighborhood? Why are there so many vacant lots? And it kind of just kind of grew and grew from like childhood to entering as a teenager where I kind of already knew that we had all these problems, but again, had assumed, well, maybe other places kind of also deal with this. Maybe this is just kind of the standard way of life, but also knew that in the back of my head, like, that's not the case. You've been out to the suburbs, you've been outside, like, the Cindy limits, and you see very drastically that as soon as you go outside of the city, it's so much cleaner, it's so much nicer. There's so many more resources poured into those communities and it makes you ponder and say, like, why is that? And there's a long history with why that is, especially going into like urban planning and realizing that there's large scale history of redlining within the city of Detroit where 
So many communities, especially like the neighborhood that I lived in was like specifically redlined as well, have a lack of resources like to this day where you can see the areas that were not redlined compared to the areas that were redlined in the city and the amount of resources and accessibility those parts of the community have, as well as the communities outside the city have. So even though redlining was decades ago, the implications and impacts are still felt in the communities to this day. And even like where I live, where our neighborhoods are were redlined in the past, you can see like those repercussions of having heavy industry in those areas and even having neighborhoods being integrated in industry where there may be like a steel mill just like right around the corner or there's an oil refinery just like 10 minutes away from like your house or anything like that. So it's just very well integrated. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that shouldn't like I know a lot of there's like a concept where it's like NIMBY like not in my backyard and a lot of people push these things outside of their own communities but don't realize that those items are being dumped into other communities and predominantly communities of color that don't deserve to have these in their neighborhoods and try to fight against them but constantly those are silenced are told that it doesn't matter their voice doesn't matter they can't do anything about it and it's just like such a huge concept that people don't realize it's affecting our quality of life and our livelihoods. And I think that's like one of the biggest things when I had went to state, well, even though the gardening had got me interested, I wasn't going into like horticulture. I wasn't going into crop or soil sciences. I wasn't doing anything like that. I was doing environment and sustainability and then pairing that with public health and epidemiology because I was really interested in seeing the intersectionality between environments and health. How does that work? How does your built environments, the way that you live, the area that you live in impact your quality of life and health and there's a huge correlation between that where I don't think people realize that where you live impacts how you live and the quality of life that you have so because of that going through Michigan State and gaining that base knowledge I realized that grad school was definitely the best option for me to continue to pursue this knowledge and to grow this knowledge that and I did not have an urban planning background from undergrad so I felt that pairing it with like the MS degree where I was able to kind of leverage some of that previous background that I had from my undergrad through my bachelor's and pairing it with urban planning would really give me that crossover I needed to look into how like built environments impacted your quality of life and impacted the environment that you live in and it's been such a really great pairing be able to understand like not only like the history as to how cities are built and how influential planners can be and how cities are structured but how meticulously it can be planned to the point where a lot of these designs can be intentional and how the intentionality behind it really shows some of the racist practices that planners had 10, 20 years ago. So it's really important to see and also understand and for planners in this field to accept that this field has a very, very racist history. And even though individuals like myself are trying to make sure that history does not repeat itself and that communities, especially like communities of color, are not being planned for, are being planned with, where you want to plan with the community and not for the community. That's the biggest thing where you don't want to be putting in resource, not resources, but you don't want to be putting in different types of designs or items that may not be appealing to the community or something that the community doesn't want or need necessarily. So it's just going to sit there and wonder, oh, why aren't they using it? Why don't they need this? Why isn't this working? And in reality, you're putting in something that is totally irrelevant, that's not for them. And community 
essentially just wanted something very simple. We just want our roads fixed. We want the sidewalks fixed. We want to see a small scale park, something like that. And items being put in that are totally like irrelevant can harm that community as a whole. And then some of these designs, you can also see that they're also not meant for the community itself. So then that kind of falls into the pattern of uh, then there's gentrification then there's like the risk of communities being pushed out of their own homes because of these certain things that are may not be again intentional but or it may be intentional it depends on how you look at it but how these things are placed into communities and then how those communities act and react and remembering who these designs are for and what kind of planner you want to be when you enter this field. There's so many different facets of planning, but I know like what I want to do definitely is very, very community-based, working with the community and hopefully improving the environmental quality of the neighborhood that I grew up in. Yeah, it's really clear to me how powerful your why is, why so much passion and empowerment sort of speaks throughout everything that you said and how do you actually do this skillfully effectively i'm curious about i can see that this ignites you and i'm also wondering if there's a lot of pressure if there are barriers that you have encountered so far and sort of how do you navigate that because you have a wonderful why but you're also a student and even along the way i'm sure you have encountered plenty of barriers red tape tell us a little bit about how you navigate these ups and downs and how do you student in the middle of it all oh man so many barriers i think being clinics individual in the environmental field is definitely tough because there's no one that looks like you i remember being at Michigan State not seeing a single person that looked like me in my major and that was definitely frightening especially growing up in a pretty diverse community especially living in Detroit going to Michigan State almost two hours away was a big culture shock for myself growing up not only low income but also an individual color coming to that area where a lot of individuals were white and also pretty affluent It was definitely a big culture shock where I would enter even the most basic concepts within class. I felt like I was always behind in, always having to struggle and always being afraid to ask for help because I thought I would be punished or reprimanded because I had no idea how any of this worked. I am a first generation college student, so I think that kind of has a lot to say about the way that I navigated school. Being a first gen is really tough because you're the first one to go through it all. And I know one of the biggest things that pushed me through to get through my undergrad career was my three younger brothers. And I wanted to make sure that they knew that if I could get through it, then they could get through it too. Because we're all like two, four, and six, seven years behind me. So they're all two to three years separate from each other. But they all would have been entering different parts of their lives and seeing me go to school from one of them being like very young in grade school to middle school being early on in high school really pushed me to be able to be that role model for them and be like see if I can do it you can do it so don't worry about it everything's okay so a lot of that ended up being like putting on a brave face and not letting them see me cry not seeing letting them see how stressed I was and how scared I was I remember getting like my first exam back at school and getting a really bad grade on it and I flipped out I did not know what to do. I was so scared. I was also on a scholarship there at State, so I was like, oh my god, are they going to take my scholarships away? What am I going to do? And in high school, I was a straight-A student. I worked myself to the bone to not only perform well academically, but also be involved socially through my community and things like that. So having those bad grades at State when I first started really scared me, and I had no idea what to do, and I was too afraid to ask for resources, so I struggled silently for about a year and a half. 
I didn't realize that a lot of the struggle came from one, being too afraid to ask professors for help, but then two, in a sense, like feeling very isolated. I experienced a lot of microaggressions, even though I had a lot of really great experiences at Michigan State. I also experienced a lot of microaggressions like in my classes, potentially intentional and then also not intentional. Like how I'd mentioned, a lot of individuals were pretty affluent or at least middle class. So we're able to experience very basic things I had never experienced. So going to class, a professor would propose an example. It's like, oh, when you go up north during the summer, this is like what you see. This is what you experience. How many of you have gone camp? Like, I'm sure all of you have gone camping up north and kind of proceeded with like that example of going camping up north and different types of flora that you would see up there and kind of pursued that. Everyone understood. And I was just eyes glazed over and had no idea what the heck he was talking about. And I was like, what is he talking about? And everyone's like, north. And I was like, no, they're like, you haven't been camping. And I was like, no. Realizing that not only students had like these preconceived notions of who you were, not only based on like how you look, but the area that you were from, but also just things that professors would say where they would just have like a blanket assumption of what people had experienced when I had experienced almost none of the things that they would end up saying or doing. And it got to a point where this accumulation of not knowing, not speaking up, not really understanding examples, being too afraid to ask experiencing different microaggressions. And I remember a student asked me if I knew another student and I had said the wrong student that they were thinking of. They were thinking of a totally different student. I had thought they were talking about a Latinx student. I was like, oh yeah, I know them. They're really great. And they're like, oh no, he's white. He's normal. And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? And they're like, normal. Excuse me? You guys aren't normal. <gasps> and I freaked out. And that was almost my breaking point where I am not welcomed here, I'm not wanted, and I was very, very close to dropping out of the university and transferring somewhere else and going closer to home. But I met another individual of color and who was in my class who happened to be in the same major, and she was like, hey, it's okay, a lot of this happened. She was a year older than me, so she ended up becoming almost like an organic mentor in a way. She really took me under my wing. She saw how scared I was. Don't worry, it's okay. This happens a lot, but you're going to be okay. Just come with me. Just follow me. It's all right. And I was like, okay. And she was like, it's fine. We're going to figure it out together. And she really, without her, I probably would have dropped out of that university. And I don't think she realizes how important she was in my life at that time to not only take me under her wing, have me study with her, help me out with like my classes, figuring out, to, almost like finding my voice in a way. And she was very instrumental in that. And then also exposed me to the organization that has become a really big part of my life on campus, which is called Manners, which is Minorities and Agriculture, Natural Resources and Related Sciences. And I know without joining that organization, I most likely would not have went to grad school. I would not have had the academic and extracurricular experiences that I was able to do. None of that would have been possible. They provided me the support system that I needed to succeed while on campus because it was an accumulation of minority students that were all interested in the environmental field, but a different array of the environmental field. But we all had this a similar background, similar understanding and similar interests that were just different that really helped me cope with almost a sense of not belonging and not feeling I was welcomed at the university 
And I know without them, especially like the advisors of that organization, I would not have entered grad school. They wrote my letters of rec. They really pushed me. They helped me find the different schools that I could apply for. And that's what ended up leading me to apply to University of Michigan, where they're like, we would love you to stay at Michigan State, but you're on to do bigger and better things. And because of that, that's what really pushed me to end up going to Michigan, where I was offered a scholarship. And they also gave me the opportunity to do the dual degree, which isn't very common at other schools where you usually just go get a master's degree and move on but they offered me the opportunity where they have a couple of programs that are joint where you can earn two master's degrees in three years so because of that kind of just sold itself where I got this and went to the University of Michigan and began my master's degree straight out of undergrad graduated in May and started up in August 2019 over at the University of Michigan and it definitely was a big transition and a big culture shock I was really excited to be here and gain the knowledge that I've gained over the past three years now at this university and while it's been tough to not only be a minority here at this university, but also, again, a first-generation student, not only for undergrad, but now as a grad student. There's so many things that I've learned and experienced that I probably would have never experienced if I had not come to grad school. Same with microaggressions, but, I mean, it's been such a wonderful experience to be here and learn so much from a wide array of students that come across the country to share this knowledge and share and their passions and also meeting other minority students that are pursuing the same things here has been really, really great. And it's just been a really fruitful experience being here for the past couple of years. I think it's really important because what you really started to get at was belonging, because I think what was really important when you mentioned that you had gotten to the point at Michigan State where it would have been just as easy for you to say, I'm out of here. This is crap. And I think a couple of things I want to highlight. Number one, yeah, you had this person who said, I got you. Shout out to that friend you had. But also, you're highlighting things that are really important, too, about the subtleties of the microaggressions that happen in the classroom, that happen amongst people. And so I guess we don't have a ton of time left. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, do you have advice for students who maybe are on both ends of that, that's out there that's really just throw in the towel, but also the students out there who can maybe be that person for someone else to say, we can do this. How do we change things? And how do we change things from the inside too? Yeah, definitely. I know for myself, I thought I would never be another person that would be mentoring other students for sure. I tend to be more reserved and very, and so kind of coming into the opportunities that I've had have been it's been crazy and incredibly grateful for them but and never in a million years if we would have asked me five years ago or even myself like in high school do you think you would be where you are today I'd be like absolutely not and so because of that I most definitely never thought I would have had the impact I've had on so many students where my friend who kind of guided me through at that really crucial point in my life where I was just ready to give up I've realized I've organically become that person. So many other students, especially youth in my community, kind of like how I mentioned or how was mentioned before, working at SDEV, I am their environment and community sustainability specialist. So I work with a lot of community members, especially work with a lot of youth. And a lot of these youth are interested in these fields or may not know how to pursue them or may be starting to pursue them, but also are in that like roadblock where they might feel isolated, they might feel alone, and they don't know what to do. But having 
having that person that looks like them, that's similar to them, that has a similar background to them helps a ton where I am now able to work with these students and may have started off as just internship for them, but it's turned into so much more where they don't realize. So now they gain like a lifelong mentor and I think now like realize that we're It started off where they're just like learning about these things and now they're actually pursuing these things at the undergraduate level, but now have that support system and the people to rely on where even though I had to build that from the ground up, I'm able to kind of share that with other students. So if there's other students, other universities like across the country that may have had to experience these things, but are now able to mentor other students, work with other students, really guide other students along their way, please do it. You don't realize how important it is to them. I know for me it was life-changing I know for the students that I've worked with it has also really impacted them greatly where they had mentioned like if I weren't there they would not have pursued you don't realize the impact that you have on these different age levels and everybody needs somebody at some point in their life so be that person for them it might not have to be something super formal but whether that's like just asking them if they want to study with you asking if they want to just come around or finding formal programs. I know at Michigan State we had LSMP, which is Latino Student Mentoring Program. I ended up being a mentor for my junior and senior year where they paired you with a student that was either a freshman or sophomore. So that if there's something similar to that on your campus, get involved with that because either you can become a mentor or a mentee to have that extra assistance or provide that assistance if you've already received that to make sure that you're not only cultivating the next generation of students that are coming, but making sure that they don't have to go through the same struggles that you had to. It's important to like uplift the communities that you're a part of. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dolores. Do you have any last thoughts that you'd like our listeners to hear? Just that things get better over time. I know that it can be really hard being in high school, being an undergrad, even being a grad student. It's really tough. And I've kind of hit those points even in grad school where I'm just like, I'm so done. I'm over it. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. But things definitely do get better. And I think something important to highlight is to definitely take care of yourself. Mental health is a huge, huge aspect within undergrad and grad school, and even just in your personal life. So Remember that even though school is really tough and it may seem like the end all be all right now, your mental health is way more important. And if you need to take time and space to care for yourself in whatever capacity that is, taking like a walk, going out to paint, getting your favorite cup of coffee or tea, whatever it is, take the mental health steps that you need to make sure that you're okay. Because without doing that, you aren't going to be able to continue to function and do what you need to do as a college student. I think for me, that took me a really long time to realize where I suffer from anxiety. And I also have mild depression where I didn't realize that these were things that were very present, especially in my undergrad actively that were really kind of tearing away at me and that I continuously like just pushed aside because I thought I had to just get stronger. I had to just hide it, just like go cry in private, wipe your tears away and just go back to class. And I know that a lot of other IPAC individuals experience like similar things where it's very taboo to talk about your mental health and how you feel and how these things impact your life greatly. But going through and not only reaching out and receiving the help that you need, but just going to talk to somebody, even if it's just a friend, be like, hey, life really sucks. And can you just come and walk with me or something like that? Or let's just go and get some ice cream or something like that. Like take the mental health breaks that you need, because I think it's so important. I don't think it's talked about enough. 
making sure you're asking for extensions too if you need it. I was super afraid to do that. I never did an undergrad and I was so spooked to do it. And in grad school, if I need it, I'll just ask for it. And a lot of times professors will be really gracious about you needing an extension. So it's okay to take the time that you need. So it's okay to break outside those norms and be yourself and take care of yourself. And I don't think I can emphasize that enough. But just definitely care for yourself in the ways that you need to do. And obviously, whoever's listening, you know the best ways to do that. But if you're here right now listening with us, go grab yourself your favorite drink. Take an hour just to relax and rejuvenate and get back to whatever you need to do. And if this is your break, I'm glad that you're taking a break. Just make sure you're taking the time and effort to care for yourself as much as you need. Thanks, Dolores. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, you should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.